Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. This is NBA Today, hosted by Malika Andrews, live from Los Angeles. Welcome to NBA Today. Man, it is hard to believe. It's been three weeks since the trade request that was heard around the world, so don't worry. We're going to get you caught up on the latest in the Kevin Durant saga. Plus, speaking of trades, a Knicks-Jazz trade surrounding Donovan Mitchell. Calm down. It hasn't happened yet, at least not since I last checked. But our analysts, we're going to ask them to put their GM hats on and get a deal done. You're going to want to stick around. And we've got some news that we need to get to. It is right off of the press. It is hot. James Harden, the Sixers, they make his re-signing official. So we're going to get you the particulars of that deal. And don't miss Tim Legler on what we can expect from the Sixers this season. But first, here is James Harden in his own words. Originally, when I was going through everything I was going through, you know, in Houston, Philly was my, you know, my first choice. It just didn't happen. So I just knew, you know, for a very long time, this was a perfect fit. I'm just happy and blessed that I'm here. I feel like I'm one of the best teammates that the NBA has seen on the court and off the court. You know, me personally, I just feel like I needed to do what was best for my career and help myself and be happy. Man, it's, uh, it's for me personally, it's been a long year. Um, but since I've been here, it's been great. We try to build a championship contender team so fast, which I still think we are. We're just, you know, missing a few pieces. Could you clear your plan on still opting I'll, I'll be here. Yeah, I'll be here. Are you willing to take less for an extension? Whatever it takes to, to help this team continue to grow and put us up there with the best of them. James Harden, a man of his words there. Uh, his new contract details. He's set to make $33 million next season and has a player option of $35.5 million. That's the following year. But remember, Harden declined a $47.4 million option this offseason in order to give the Sixers a little bit more flexibility to round out the roster. That's, so that's what we heard him being asked about there at the end of that soundbite. Part of our roster today, joined now by ESPN senior writer Brian Windhorst and the master telestrator himself. Does anyone call you Tim the Telestrator, Legs? That's not bad, Malika. No, nobody has, but I think you just did. So I let's just point it. it. Let's I'm, do something with it. I, I like let's that. That's how we should font okay. him, sponsor it. We're all in. Um, we even have our, some of our people who help us with that. Chris Duffy's in the studio today. So let's get right to it. Starting with you, though, Tim, the Telestrator. I'm going to go with legs. It's simpler. Uh, what are your expectations for Harden this season and beyond? I think he's going to have another great regular season. I mean, that's what James Harden does in a regular season. It's one of the most dominant offensive players in the league. I think their team is significantly better with the rotational players that they have added to go alongside himself and Joel Embiid and Tobias Harris and, and Maxi. They've really shored up the rest of their team. So I think their team has a great regular season. I think James Harden has a great regular season. And we're going to look at them as contenders. The problem is this. And much like my accountant, Malika, I only care what he has to say on April 15th, right? And it's going to be the same thing with James Harden. 
it all comes down to how he performs in the postseason because he's got the ball more than anybody else on that team. And if he has moments like he has had at other times in his career, I think they're going to struggle to get through the Eastern Conference. It does fall in his lap to a certain extent because he is the primary creator. And when he loses aggressiveness or he looks tentative, that's when they're going to struggle. And unfortunately, his track record indicates that's probably going to happen in the postseason again. Hmm. So I think he's going to be great for six months. We're going to talk about all kinds of stuff with the Sixers. But then it really matters that two-month stretch, April to mid-June. What is he going to do then? And can he be at his best when it requires it? That is what I think James Harden has struggled with in the past. And now I think I'm expecting that to happen again. Hmm. Malika, let's take a look at this deal that, that was kind of brokered here. Um, there were circumstances surrounding it and an injury to his hamstring, but really... James Harden can't say that he's a max player right now. He just can't. Not at his level of max, which would have been uh, over $50 million a year. So the Sixers and, and Harden have brokered something here. And that is, he is going to help the Sixers rebuild the depth that they lost in trading for him. And they absolutely added three really quality players to help them out. Uh, because of his decision to come down here, specifically P.J. Tucker, but also um, Anthony Melton and Daniel House, who should help them at both ends of the court. That definitely happened. Yeah. But he's also left himself open here with only a one-year deal. And the belief I think that he is, is you know, putting faith in is that he is going to come back healthier and he's going to show the world that he's a max player again and next summer take that money right back and the opt-out uh, and, the, and the pay reduction is an investment to get that longer max deal while also helping with his reputation in Philadelphia. As drawn up, that's a beautiful plan. I can see them coming to that agreement. I can see Daryl Morey being happy about it. I can see their owners being happy. I can see Harden being happy. I bet P.J. Tucker is pretty happy because he just got a three-year contract for $30 million out of it. Mm. The question at the bottom line is, Will James Harden return to that max level player? And that's everything. I can sit here for 10 minutes and talk to you about what P.J. Tucker's inclusion means. I can yeah. sit here and talk about how the growth level of Tyrese Maxey is huge for this team. But unless James Harden gets back on that all-NBA team, gets back on the top 10, top 15 list along with Joel Embiid, then all of this is just going to be moving, moving numbers around and affecting James Harden's bank account. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I am curious, though, as Amber Alerts continue to go off on all of our phones here in, in Los Angeles, that's what you're hearing through my microphone. Um, Tim, you said something about how for, for James Harden, it's going to be he's going to be judged in the postseason. I'm wondering, though, if he's going to be judged potentially less harshly because this is the contract he's on versus a larger number in your estimation. Oh, there's no question it was a very smart move on his part, Malika. I think, look, part of it was he genuinely wanted them to have the flexibility to add pieces because it takes pressure off of him if he's on a better team. So I do think he genuinely did it for that reason, but he also created some goodwill. Because of the mm. way that he played in the Miami series and the way their season ended, this media base and this fan base, they were pretty harsh going into the summer, and they were wondering what was going to happen. Like, is this guy going to demand out of Daryl Morey a super max extension right now based on the way he just finished the season? If he had done that, the level of pressure on him, and I think yeah. the reaction to him if he struggled at any point next year would have been very difficult to overcome. Now he's created some goodwill. People are like, hey, look at that. 
a star player that's mm. not getting every dime he can because he wants to help the team. I think it was very smart on his part. It also creates flexibility, as Brian alluded to. He can still opt out next summer and sign a deal there or somewhere else if he wants to leave Philadelphia. So it was smart for him in a lot of ways. But I think definitely this contract makes everybody in Philadelphia a little bit more accepting of James Harden coming into this season, and they're yeah. going to give him the benefit of the doubt that he can be much better in the playoffs than he was last year. I absolutely agree with you on that one. But you said the magic word, pressure. And I think it's fair to say that James Harden is going to be experiencing some amount, a fair amount particularly, of pressure this season, looking how he played last year and sticking with the 76ers. But to you, Brian, is he under the most pressure in the NBA this year, or is there someone else you're looking at? No, I would say... Kyrie Irving is probably in that zone right now. Um, I'm not sure that Kyrie, I, I don't know how he felt about the fact that they really couldn't get much action in trade talks for him, either in a sign-in trade or when he was briefly potentially on the market when Durant asked for a trade. You know, he's obviously a desired player. There are many teams that want Kyrie Irving on their roster. The question is, would all of them want to give him a four- or five-year contract? Right. And would they be in places he wants to be? Because Kyrie has, you know, has forced him his way off of teams in the past. So if Kyrie wants to control his destiny and get the contract that he, you know, wants, he's going to have to have a big year this year, and there's going to be a big bullseye on him if he stays in Brooklyn. Tim? Yeah, look, he certainly is under a ton. I don't think there's any question. Harden is another guy. I'm going to name one other guy that I think potentially you could say this about. I think Jason Tatum hmm. is under some pressure, and here's why. Look, I know he's young, and I know he's ascending, and I'm a huge Jason Tatum fan, and the guy was an all-league player. He's going to get MVP votes probably because Boston is that good. I mean, a lot of people think Boston can win it all next season. They went to the finals, and they improved their team. So he's going to be in that discussion all year. But kind of like what I said about Harden, and but Harden with you know, more of a track record, certainly. Jason Tatum did not play well in the NBA Finals. Yeah, He was outplayed by Golden State's best player. And for Boston to win that series, their best player needed to be the best player on the floor often enough for them to get to four before Golden State got to four. And it didn't happen. So I think going into this season, certainly people think, well, okay, it's maybe a one-off. No one's writing it off that it can't happen. You're not expecting Jason Tatum to not play well under pressure. I'm just saying this is a team expecting now to win it all, and Jason Tatum did not play well when they got to that final stage. He's going to have to answer that. Regardless of what he does in the regular season, people are going to be waiting to see when those lights are at their absolute brightest, will he be better than he was last year and help lead Boston to a championship? So I think he's going to feel it. Maybe not in the regular season, mm. but I think in the postseason, Jason Tatum's going to feel some of that. Well, we're going to get into that final stage a little bit later in the show because, who were you guys watching the ESPYs last night? There were some sparks that were flying there. Um, but what's interesting to me is that neither one of you said DeAndre Ayton or anyone in the West. It's two teams, two players on Eastern teams that you see, at least as of right now, under the most pressure. So, so that makes me think, Gentlemen, what are your current power rankings in the Eastern Conference with everything as it is today? That means Kevin Durant is still on the Brooklyn Nets. That means Kyrie Irving is still on the Brooklyn Nets. You're way too early power ranking. Tim, I'm going to start with you going five to one here. Look, I, I'm going to put a virtual dead heat at one, honestly. I, I said it's a coin toss. Milwaukee and Boston, I could sit here and, and, and really talk about either of those teams and make a great case why they're going to be in the NBA Finals. I just think they're both there. Um, I have Philadelphia, 
third, Miami fourth, Toronto fifth. And like, I'm looking at Brooklyn and I'm saying to myself, okay, even if we say Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving don't get moved and they're going to be there, are you really going to take that leap of faith based on the way the last two years went? Mm. And knowing that they both demanded trades, you really think they're going to just turn it around, get out of the gates really quickly. All of a sudden, they're going to be happy there. They're going to stick with it. And now Brooklyn becomes a contender. I think that's a reach. Uh, and, if, and if you don't know what they're getting back, certainly you can't say the haul and what they get in return is going to be enough because you have no idea what it is. And that's why I would still probably not put them uh, there in the top four. I, I, I think this is an Easter conference that's very heavy with some really good teams. And Toronto might surprise some people, but I have that kind of faith in Nick Nurse and that team, and a leap that Scotty Barnes is going to take this year is going to really, I think, propel Toronto now to be a team we talk about all year, not just the second half. You know, you know what I appreciate you most, Tim, for is your ability to follow instructions. So, Brian, we're going to try this way. <laughs> Five to one, who are your Eastern Conference power rankings? Malika, I can't believe I'm saying this, and I, I agree that I could be mocked for what I'm saying, but I like the Brooklyn Nets offseason so far. Um, they uh -huh. actually have added a couple of nice veteran pieces. Royce O'Neal, TJ Warren, low risk, potential high reward. They re-signed Patty Mills. They re-signed uh, Nick Claxton. Uh, you're going to get to, they're going to have some really good shooting on that roster. Assuming those guys are back, which I have to assume right now, I might even have them. I might even be low. Of course, their team chemistry could be a disaster, but even saying five might be low for them. And then you look at Philadelphia. We just talked about how much Philadelphia has improved. I actually want to put them higher, but the Harden thing is such, you know, is so, so unclear. So I got to wait and see. I have huge respect for the Miami Heat and what they are as a team. I think they're getting forgotten about because they haven't done a major move and they lost P.J. Tucker, but they're still a great team and they still have, you know, you know terrific bones. The Celtics I have at number two, although... I'm with legs. I mean, you could make a strong case for number one. They've upgraded their roster yep. on a team that went to the finals. I think had the Bucks had their full team together, I think if Chris Middleton was healthy, they win the East, and they might have won the title again. So I still have Milwaukee at number one, um, just on how great Giannis has been. But we're, we're saying this, I mean, in, in, literally in, in a week, you could bring this back and use it against me and totally make fun of me. You could do it again in November and again yeah. in January. That's how much fluidity there is right now with these teams. Absolutely. I agree with you, and that's why I need to put an emphasis on way too early. I think if I were to do this exercise, Brian, I think I might be a little bit closer to you in all of this at number five. I think I... I think I, I would still have Brooklyn because I, I do. I like the offseason moves that they've made. I'd like to, to answer sort of something that you floated in your power rankings. I think that regard, Kevin Durant is going to come out of the gate strong. If he is on Brooklyn, uh, this man, one thing we know about him is how talented he is and how much he loves to play. So he is what gives me faith that Brooklyn is still going to be up there. Number four, I'm going to put the Miami Heat. I think they are talented. I think they are well coached. Um, and they could even move up from here. I think I had Philadelphia as number Number three, I like what they're doing over there. I appreciate the moves that James Harden made, the flexibility he had to allow them to do a little bit more. 
Oh, the top is hard. I'm going to put the Milwaukee Bucks as number two, and that's only because last year I put them as number one, saying you have to respect the champs coming off. So if, if Boston is the team that is representing the East last season, and I really like the Malcolm Brogdon move that they made, they seem to be missing that true point guard. I'm going to keep them in their spot at number one until they prove that me wrong. Like, I, I feel like that's the respect that I owe the Boston Celtics, but I, I think the Milwaukee Bucks are going to be dangerous, Brian. I absolutely agree with both of you there. So, Legs, you kind of... You're going to choose one or the other at the top spot in the next couple of weeks. What's what's the deadline for this? <laughs> Listen, we're in the summertime, Malika. I don't have to do that until right before the season, right? And then, and then, and then, as we tend to do around here, probably one week in, I'm going to have to update my championship pick, and yep. then every week throughout the season, which is fine. I'm going to take my time and let's see how this all plays out over the summer. But there's no doubt that Boston significantly upgraded their team with Brogdon and Gallinari. But I look at the Bucks, and the reason I think they could end up in the finals is the maniacal obsession to win that Giannis Antetokounmpo is really cursed with because I think he saw the way this season played out, and he's going to be so hungry to get back to that stage. Tim the Telestrator, never wrong. Uh, still to come on NBA Today, the Jazz and the Knicks. They haven't pulled off a Mitchell trade yet, but what I want to do is have our analysts huddle up and get a deal done. You'll see what I mean. That's coming up next. Plus, can you believe this? It's been three weeks since Kevin Durant requested a trade. The latest on that front, that's coming up shortly. Plus, is there still some finals bad blood that's going on? Wait till you hear what one Celtics player had to say about the Warriors. Uh Uh-oh, NBA Today continues after this. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. Pending free agent, Richard. You know what NBA stands for, right? What? Never broke again. Oh, well, he's going to make some money. He's going to make a, a whole lot of money. The New York Knicks now able to make an overwhelming contract offer in the neighborhood of $110 million. The Knicks are so desperate to be relevant <laughs> that you can't kill them. Haven't won a damn championship since 1973. He's a guy that the Knicks are going to need. Runs it on a run. Why not? Deep in his bag like the fries are at the bottom. They haven't really had that kind of leadership at that position in a long time. So Jalen Brunson 
is one of three notable moves the Knicks have made this offseason. They also signed center Isaiah Hartenstein from the Clippers, and then they re-signed their own center, that's Mitchell Robinson, to a four-year deal. And Brunson's old team, the Mavericks, they traded for Christian Wood, and they also signed JaVale McGee. So how fun is this? We have my pal and yours. It's Tim Bontemps and everyone's favorite Dallas-based NBA reporter, Tim McMahon, here to talk a little bit about Jalen Brunson and the Knicks. So, Timmy B., I'm going to start with you. You're in New York. What will Brunson's role be with the Knicks? Well, Malik, it would have been nice to ask Jalen Brunson about that this week when the Knicks decided to have a press conference with no media involved. But, look, the Knicks have been waiting to find a point guard to be their franchise leader really for decades now, right? We've seen a revolving door at this position. Let's go back to last summer when they had a press conference where Kemba Walker is the latest guy that they hope would be the guy that would be their leader at the floor general spot and really be kind of the, the coach on the floor for this team. And I think... You know, when you look at Jalen Brunson, being in Dallas with Luka Doncic, where he's playing off the ball sometimes, being sort of that secondary creator, I think in him coming to New York, a big appeal to him was that getting the chance to be the guy Mm. with the Knicks. Now, as we'll talk in a little bit, maybe down the road here, he'll have a fellow backcourt mate that will take away some of that ball handling responsibilities from him. But either way, with the contract they gave him, with the pursuit that they clearly went out to get Jalen Brunson over the past several months, It is clear he is going to be a critical piece for what they're doing going forward, and I think it gives them a chance to have some real stability at the point guard spot for the first time in a very, very long time. Yeah, we've certainly seen that spot be something that rotates for them. Uh, To Dallas now, Tim McMahon, what is the Mavs' top priority for just sort of the rest of the offseason to replace Jalen's production for them? Well, obviously they're, they're going to continue to explore opportunities in the trade market, but they feel like with the return of Tim Hardaway Jr., who missed the second half of last season all of the playoffs, that really kind of fills the scoring void. Spencer Dinwiddie steps into the starting lineup, and then they did trade for Christian Wood. Obviously, he's not a guard, but he provides a scoring threat, a, a, a shooter, kind of a little bit of playmaking in the front court that they did not have before. So while Brunson was a top priority trying to keep him, they weren't able to do that. They do feel like they can replace the offensive punch with the moves that they've already made and just the return of injury from injury uh, by Tim Hardaway Jr. Interesting. Okay, so Bontemps, you alluded to this, but uh, a player that isn't a Nick right now is Donovan Mitchell. But New York and Utah, they have been linked to a deal that could happen in the future. It hasn't happened yet, uh, or that story would be a lot higher in the show. But why <laughs> is it important to both teams, Bontemps, to get a deal done sooner rather than later? Well, as you said, Malika, not right now is the key phrase there because clearly there's a lot of motivation on the Knicks side in particular, I think, to get this done. And let's just look at the Knicks point guard position. Like I was just talking about, the last time the Knicks had an all-star point guard was Mark Jackson back in 1989. The Mm. last time they had an all-star guard was Allen Houston 20 years ago. So this is a franchise that has been waiting to get a star guard to build around for a very long time. And look, since Leon Rose got to the Knicks a couple of years ago to run the basketball operations department, the goal for this team has been to get star players. Leon Rose represented a ton of stars at CAA, guys like Donovan Mitchell. They went out and got a bunch of draft picks that could get them a guy like Donovan Mitchell. They signed contracts they could trade later Mm. to get a guy like Donovan Mitchell. They even went to Utah and signed Johnny Bryant to be on Tom Thibodeau's assistant uh, staff assistant coach. He was Donovan Mitchell's workout guy with with the Utah Jazz. So you put all that together. Donovan Mitchell clearly seems to me to be a guy they need to get. And it also is a guy that gets them in the door having a first star in the door, something I've been able to do in a long time. You can't get more stars until you get one. Donovan Mitchell might not get the Knicks in the playoffs or to the championship contention they want to be, but he'd give them a chance to build around somebody 
which they haven't had the ability to do in several years. Right. McMahon, you, you cover Utah for us as well. How are they viewing all of this? Well, certainly time is on the Jazz's side in the sense that Donald Mitchell does have three years plus a player option remaining on his contract. But let, let's be honest, the Jazz don't want 34-year-old first-time head coach Will Hardy to go into training camp and have the Donovan Mitchell saga, the Donovan Mitchell drama, mm. dominate the storyline on a day-to-day basis. We saw that happen with Steven Silas in Houston when James Harden was forcing his way out. And it's a different situation. Donovan is not forcing his way out. But I think we all understand that Donovan Mitchell's strong preference would be to go ahead and get traded to New York. We've seen this train come down the track for quite some time now. And, you know, from the Jazz's perspective, they they need to be able to turn the page sooner than later and commit full blown to that rebuilding project. But we also understand Danny Ainge does not take discounts and trades. And that's going to be the priority, getting that maximum price for their proven all-star guard. Steven Silas, by the way, I mean, he handled that entire situation admirably. All right, enough basketball, though. I want to do something that I think it's fun. I don't know if you guys are going to think it's fun. Bringing in another Tim. How many times do we have this many Tims on the show? So how about a little bit of it's a little corny, it's a little cheesy, but I'm a little corny and a little cheesy. So a little bit of Tim trivia here. Just shout out the answer if you got it. How many Tims are in the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame? Uh, I'm gonna say no. I'm, oh, I'm gonna guess. I'm gonna guess three. Two. Duncan. Hardaway. I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say five. I'll go over and say five. <laughs> Two. Oh. Duncan and Hardaway. Michael got it wrong even when he knew the answer. Yeah, I know. So, Come on, Legs. Go. I mean, Legs is struggling today. Yeah. Um, oh <laughs> all right. This Tim is a part owner of the Memphis Grizzly. Who is this Tim? Justin oh, Timberlake. <laughs> but up, up. <laughs> That's, I was going to say, that's what you had to think Tim of. There Berlake. you go. No Good job, man. Um, all right, this Tim made a three-pointer to force overtime in the 2006 playoffs. It was against the Lakers. Tim's team Tim eventually Duncan. completed a 3-1 comeback. Tim Thomas. Ah, oh, Tim Thomas. Good right. That's a good answer. I love it. All right. This Tim Very good. won the 2011 Conn Smythe Trophy for the Stanley Cup Playoffs MVP. Who is this Tim? I oh, can't name a single Conn yeah, That's also Tim Thomas. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. He got it. It's another Tim Thomas. The Bruins. That's also an athlete right. playing two winter sports at one. Well, guess what I'm about <laughs> to guess. I'm about to say Tim Thomas no matter what this question yeah, is. Yeah, see, there you go. Tim, you got to be faster with these answers, baby. All right. This Tim. <laughs> Won the 2004 Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor for his portrayal of somebody in the movie Mystic River. Who is this, Tim? Tim Cruise. Timothy Hutton. Tim Robbins. I was going to say Timothy Chalamet, but I knew that was wrong. I was going to say it as a joke. I, I struggle with that, the name, the whole, all, yeah, this bad. All right. Who was the first Tim to win the Heisman Trophy? Tim Tebow. First Tim, Tim. The first Tim. Yeah, I don't know. All right, Tim Tebow won in 2007. Tim Brown, Brown won. Tim yeah, Brown. 1987. Uh, Tim Brown. Dallas guy. All right, this one, get creative once again. This Tim has won four Grammys, is a three-time winner of the Songwriter of the Year Award. Who is this Tim? Can I go back to Justin Tim Timberlake? I was going to say Justin Timberlake it's again. Uh, Timbaland. <laughs> 
told you. That's, this is bad. Gentlemen, thank you for um, at least making me laugh. I don't know if anybody else laughs, but frankly, I don't care because that just made my day. Gentlemen, I appreciate you stopping by. One of you, Tims, please stick around because still to come on NBA Today, a Celtics player said what about the Warriors? I cannot wait for Wendy and one of the Tims to react to some bold words next. And it has been a long, agonizing 21 days for Nets fans. So where things stand now, three weeks after KD's shocking trade request and from one megastar to another, do not miss our best of Steph Curry's performance as the ESPYs host. That in just a little bit. Stay tuned. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the 2022 SB Awards. I am the second NBA player to host this award show. LeBron James, he hosted this award show back in 2007 after losing in the NBA Finals. You guessed it, this, uh, this feels better. After celebrating three kids' birthdays in two weeks, I finally understand why Tom Brady keeps coming back to work. <laughs> uh, the only reason I really wanted to host is I thought I'd be able to present myself with the award. We're in the fourth quarter of the show, which means all the uh, L.A. fans are finally here. Appreciate y'all showing up. It also means all the Miami fans are already gone. So uh, thanks for coming. Grant Williams, I see you in the building. It's great to see you again, my man. I know you like this color. I'll let you borrow it after I'm done. But uh, I might even let you wear a ring. Yeah, Okay, uh, back here with Brian and Legs. Um, just, Brian, your, your reaction to Steph's performance as the ESPYs host. To the victor go the spoils, man, when you're on top of the world. Hey, and I'm impressed. He could be playing golf right now. If I were him, I'd be taking the rest of the summer off. Yeah. To the victor go the spoils. Tim? Yeah, I thought he was great. I mean, I can't imagine anything more terrifying to be thrown into something where you're out of your element and on live television in front of all those people. And... To get spicy with some guys that you still play against, and it's probably not really in his character to do it. I thought he did a great job. Well, the first part of that, I can imagine a little bit, but let's get you caught up on why possibly Steph was taking shots at Grant Williams last night. Uh, it's maybe because Grant went on the Long Shot podcast with Miami Heat forward and friend of the show, Duncan Robinson, shared his thoughts on the Celtics falling to the Warriors in the 2022 finals. I'm just going to let you guys hear this. Like I still will say confidently, Confidently to this day, they weren't the better team. You know what I mean? Like, I was Golden st- State was not the better team. Yeah, I, st- I would say that confidently. I would say they were a more disciplined team. I will say that without a doubt. Like, their discipline and also their, I guess their, what you say, their um, history of yeah. being in the finals, championship like, pedigree, championship you pedigree. You say it. that was real. Yeah. And I feel like at times, like when you go back and watch the film, like we were had commanding like either leads or had opportunities. We went on runs, and next thing you know, we just, like, 
turned it over three times because we missed three shots. Oh, okay. Uh, Tim Legler, go ahead. It's absurd. It's absurd to say it. You lost three straight games to lose the finals. And think about what he's saying. He's saying, actually, we were better except for all of those times when we weren't better right. when we needed to be. I mean, that's basically what he's saying. Think about it. Not to mention the fact this is a team that Hunger had on the defensive end of the floor going into that series, and they could not do anything with Steph Curry whatsoever. The one guy that you had to try to take out and target and limit and in some way not allow him to beat you, and they really couldn't figure out a way to do that game after game. So mm. I don't look at it that way at all. The Boston Celtics had a, an opportunity up to one, and Steph Curry had the signature game of his career. The best player in the series had his best moment, maybe of his career, in getting that thing to 2-2. And then from that point on, the Golden State Warriors won two more to close it out. So I just don't know how you feel comfortable making the statement that you're a better team the way that that series unfolded. Brian? Well, Malika, the more disciplined team, I mean, that, that contributes to who's the better team. Yeah. Um, I have to say, you know, you know, covering the Celtics in rounds two, three, and four, being at every game, it, as good as they were and everything that they had going for them, it was maddening maddening how they would lose their focus at times. And that contributes to who gets the ring at the end. And I will say that three games into the series, I was saying the same things. I thought that the Celtics were the better team. I thought the Celtics were going to win a long, tight series. But the, that you can't throw off discipline as just, you know, a, a toss-away line. Discipline is a big reason why teams win. It comes with experience. So um, I think, you know, Grant saying that, I think, might show a lack of discipline from him, you know, not recognizing what really is going to be important to win at the highest level. And I think that the Celtics could improve across the board on that for next year. I, I couldn't agree with you more that discipline is a part of that all-encompassing word better. I do appreciate that Grant Williams, his candor, it, it, it doesn't matter sort of what situation he's in. He's always going to tell you exactly what he thinks. And as a reporter, I really appreciate that. I, I agree with you, though, Brian. I feel like throughout the, the, the finals, I was sort of saying that, and you can see here, a, a very disciplined cut, Steph Curry posting that. Um, but the, the ceiling for the Warriors always felt higher to me. They were just a little bit more erratic versus the Celtics. They were sort of right here the entire time. And if the Warriors could reach that apex, I, I felt pretty good about their chances. Yes, I know I am from the Bay Area. But the Celtics, they just seemed to have – they were just solid at every single piece. The Warriors had higher highs and lower lows, and they hit those higher highs. And, and by the way, they won their, their, their fourth ring as this group. So, you know – Slow your roll there, Grant, but I, I appreciate what you were saying there. Tim, anything to add? Well, just that, listen, when you, when you start talking about these things, you got to recall, looking at the Golden State Warriors, Draymond Green was a shell of himself offensively in that series. Klay yeah. Thompson wasn't nearly as good as, as he can be at his ceiling. Steph Curry was sensational, and Wiggins was really, really good the entire series. But they were, to me, a long way from their peak and mm. from their ceiling, and they still won the series. So I, I just don't see it necessarily that the Celtics were a better team. That's why I thought Golden State was going to win it you know, before the playoffs started and, and stayed with them the entire time. And I never really felt like they actually hit their stride. That's what's scary about the Warriors going forward. I think yeah. all of those guys will be better. Plus, they've got an infusion of youth that got their feet wet last year 
that I'm expecting much bigger things from with Kaminga and Wiseman and Moody. I think those guys can actually have a huge impact and make them even deeper and better than they were this year. I completely agree with you. And I think, again, I grew up in the Bay Area. Folks say, well, do you not like the Warriors? No, it's not that. It's that when you grew up watching the Warriors, you become a warrior. And even when they're up by 20 points, it's sort of like, oh, God, what's going to happen now? And that's sort of how I felt the entire time watching until the final buzzer had sounded. Um, I want to stick with the Warriors here, though, because Warriors owner Joe Lacob was fined for violating the league's policy on publicly discussing collective bargaining talks that included Lacob describing the team's luxury tax system and the league's luxury tax system as, quote, unfair or very unfair, actually. The comments, which aired on the Point Forward podcast hosted by Andre Godala and Evan Turner, it included Lake of defending the Warriors championship roster and the lead leading payroll and luxury tax bills that exceed $340 million in the franchise's championship season. So here was Andre's thoughts on the fine as he voiced last night at the ESPYs. I just came up here to um, promote my podcast, Point Forward, with my man Evan Turner. We just got Joe Lake a fine, $500,000. I'm sorry, Joe. Uh. All right, so Brian, why does this whole fine ordeal, I think fascinate was the word you used off camera, fascinate you? <laughs> well, the thing about it is, Malika, the, the team that spends the most money usually doesn't win. It has happened a few times in the last decade. And in this moment, when the team that spent the most money did win, and it happened to be the most money ever spent on a payroll, and the disparity between the top teams and even the middle, forget about the bottom teams, just the top team in the middle, has never been greater. So when you take that into account, plus the fact that we're entering a new collective bargaining agreement cycle. These discussions are now actually beginning. You're just going to see some sensitivity out there. The Warriors are sensitive. The Warriors are sensitive to the concept that they bought the championship because they don't believe that. They believe that they drafted and developed players and that those players got so good they had to pay them. And that's a totally fair thing to say. Um, and then you look at other teams out there that are saying, we can't even begin to pay what the Warriors pay in luxury tax. Forget about their actual payroll. Mm. We can't even pay what they're in luxury tax. How could we stay on the same playing field? And I think they have a point. So I do think that the Warriors recognize that it has gotten a little bit out of whack, that the rules designed to keep the, the more competitive balance with, with, with the luxury tax are not penal enough, and that there's a decent chance that there's going to be some corrections that could put sort of sideboards on the Warriors into you know, the future. But it's not going to change in the short term. Their star players are still in their primes. The, the Warriors sold part of the team. Joe Lacob and his partners sold part of the team to finance luxury tax payments for the next few years. So there may be some suppression coming, but in the short term, they're going to just be fine. And if you get upset about it, just look at your ring and don't worry about what anybody <laughs> else says. All right, there you go. I was talking to another NBA owner the other day who told me that he thinks that there could be some adjustments made, adjustments made particularly if you were drafting a player and that's what puts you in the luxury tax. That should be potentially treated differently as trading for that type of player and that being put in the luxury tax. Uh, speaking of luxury tax, still to come on NBA Today, today marks three weeks since Kevin Durant's trade request that was heard around the world. So the latest on where that stands coming up next. We had a beautiful show laid out for you that was supposed to come on in about an hour. And then the NBA happened because Kevin Durant has requested a trade from the Brooklyn Nets. This is Kevin freaking 
Durant. There was a sense of inevitability that this day was coming. Woj has reported Phoenix is a possible place. Bridges, possibly DeAndre Ayton in a sign and trade. But I have to tell you, my phone has been exploding. More than half the league has already called Brooklyn. This trade is going to be so massive. Talent and picks and swaps. Everyone on their roster is going to be available. This has to go down as one of the most epic failures in the history of this league, does it not? I, I have to ask the and question. Not in, in <laughs> and Kyrie and Bron in L.A. Oh, I'll retire. So that was three weeks ago. And for all of us that crave news, right, waiting for Kevin Durant to get traded is like waiting for the sixth car to come. You, you know the subway's coming, but you just don't know when. And it's hot and it smells. And that's what I feel like now. Um, Brian, <laughs> that metaphor went way off the rails. I want to start with you here. What is going on in Brooklyn? Well, my phone is no longer exploding, Malika. It has gone quite quiet on this front. Um, I can text you. One of my favorite pieces of uh, information that Woj gave us in those first hours was that calls were coming back to up offers to Brooklyn even before they had gotten a response from the Nets to reject the offer. But the truth is we truly have a one-of-a-kind situation in the trade market. Durant's price is so high that nobody can afford to pay it. Because if you execute a trade that makes your team weaker, then the point of you even calling to acquire Kevin Durant is failed. So here we have something that's extremely valuable that nobody wants to buy at its price. Mm. So when that happens, two things usually happen in the, in the market, in the supply and demand world. One is the price either gets lowered or two, it comes off the market. And so right now, what we have is everybody waiting for the price to get lowered as the Nets mull taking it off the market. And as of right now, as I put my ear to the ground in the NBA, I'm not hearing anything changing as far as the demand phase of this, of this process. Mm. So, so, Legs, you've lived the NBA life. Is there any urgency to get this deal done before the season starts in your estimation? I really don't think there is. Actually, there might be more risk for the Nets, to, to be honest with you, because they might make the wrong deal. And, and that's what Brian's alluding to. This is so complicated and so tricky because the player we're talking about and the Nets still have him under contract. So there is that possibility that he and Kyrie come back. They don't make any moves and they start playing and they get hot out of the gate. And who knows how they feel about the situation then. And then maybe Sean Marks is thinking that might be in their best interest to do it because the market won't change for Kevin Durant. In other words, it won't become a buyer's market the closer you get to the trading deadline. Teams are going to still go all in whenever that time comes and somebody's going to pull the trigger on that trade. They're going all in, whether it's now, whether it's right before the season, or whether it's in February, it doesn't matter. So there's more risk to make a bad deal now. Get back the haul that you have to get for this guy because it's the one chance you'll ever trade a player of this caliber. Sean Marks is such a smart basketball mind, a smart roster constructor. It doesn't seem like he, he knows he doesn't need to be in any rush to make this deal. Brian Winhurst, thank you so much for spending some time with us here on NBA Today. Tim, please don't go too far because still to come, plenty of support was shown in recent days for Brittany Griner. We've got the latest news on her wrongful detainment. That's next.
WNBA star Brittany Griner has been held in Russia since February. However, she's not the only American detained abroad. So this Washington, D.C. mural, it's honoring 18 wrongfully detained Americans. And the mural is provided by the Bring Our Families Home campaign. So here's how Griner was supported at last night's ESPYs. It's been 153 nights now that BG has been wrongfully detained thousands of miles away from home, away from her family, away from her friends, away from her team. The more we say her name, the louder our voices will be. Every time we see BG's face, like Neck was saying, every time we say her name, every time it's on social media, every time we say it in interviews, it puts pressure on everybody. We've kept her in our thoughts and in our hearts, even though we know that ain't nearly enough to bring her home, y'all. We miss her and that we're thinking about her all the time. We're doing every single thing that we can to get her out. We, we are BG. The State Department in May designated Griner as wrongfully detained, moving her case under the supervision of its special presidential envoy for hostage affairs, which effectively it's the government's chief hostage negotiator. And on Tuesday, President Biden signed an executive order aimed at increasing the flow of information to families of Americans detained abroad and at imposing sanctions on the criminals, terrorists or government officials who hold them captive. Now, the spokesperson for Russia's foreign ministry lashed out at the characterization saying it shows disrespect for Russian law. Sticking in the WNBA, on a little bit of a brighter note, our girl Chanae, Chanae Agumake, she's in action across the street right now. Brittany Sykes finds Chanae, nice little lay in there, I see you. Okay, top of the key, banks that. NBA Today will be back in 60 seconds. Hey, if you want to come back over when you're done, Chanae, all good. I want everybody in this room that knows somebody they love, knows somebody in their family, or maybe themselves, that's battled cancer to please stand. Well, take a look at this room. It doesn't matter race, religion, it'll bring it to your knees. There's only one way to beat it, my friends. We gotta raise dollars and give the oncologists a fighting chance. So people out there go to V.org and make a donation. What a powerful speech from Dick Vitale last night at the ESPYs. And in honor of his incredible spirit, the V Foundation for Cancer Research has a generous donor who is matching V Foundations up to a total of $1 million. So go to V.org slash donate to give and learn more about the matching donation. Back here with Tim Legler. Tim, I know Dick Vitale means so much to so many of us. What does he mean to you? I just think he's a guy that I look at as revolutionizing, you know, this industry because he changed what we now accept and expect in a lot of ways out of a color analyst that calls games. The unbridled enthusiasm, the ability to, you know, have that much fun calling a game. Uh, he's synonymous with big-time college basketball and big-time events. If Dickie B's there, you're going to be paying attention. So for me, it's just as a fan, as, as him as a broadcaster more than anything. Absolutely. Not to mention, I would be one of those people in the room standing, knowing someone who I love who passed away from cancer. So hopefully we can all do better and be better for each other. NBA Today will be.